My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock. And I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... But I really want to learn. So... Every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the classical classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today is Nico Muley. He is a New York-based composer who attended Juilliard. He's written a lot like a lot of music, for the likes of Emmanuel Axe, the Metropolitan Opera, St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, etc., etc. He's also a performer, arranger, and conductor, and he's worked with some of my favorite performers and bands like Bjork, Jonesy, The National, Grizzly Bear. He's the co-founder of the record label Bedroom Community. His most recent work includes the opera Two Boys and the work Object Songs. On April 18th, Nico's latest work, How Little You Are will have its world premiere right here in Texas at the University of Texas's Bass Concert Hall, which we'll talk about a little more later. Hello, Nico, and welcome to the Classical Classroom. Thank you for having me. So what are you going to be teaching me about today? Well, I think what we should do is talk about um, how to listen to music that you've never heard before uh, and music music that's brand new into the world. I like this. I like this. Um, So listening to a new piece of music is a much less passive experience than than listening to, you know, kind of the golden oldies, you know, your Beethoven, your Brahms, your Bach, etc. So can you talk about the difference, say, between listening to like object songs, which you put out this year, and listening to Mozart's The Magic Flute? Right. Well, the thing, I mean, I think the thing with golden oldies is there, there's two ways to think about it. I mean, I think I think with a with a very popular piece of older music, let's let's use Mozart as an example. We we all agree culturally, more or less, that it's good, right? Yeah. We're basically on the same page that that as a composition, that the Magic Flute is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So when you go to it, what you're what you're going for is the, the the joy of knowing that you like the piece already, but the thrill and the unknowable quality of the interpretation of the piece. Uh-huh. If you take the overture of the Magic Flute as an example, you know those those chords are really iconic, right? If you grab a classical musician and play her the first nanosecond of that chord, there's no other thing it could possibly be, right? Uh Immediately you'll get the answer that it's the Magic Flute Overture. Uh And there are all these decisions, right? How do you balance the chord? Like, what's the the relationship of the horns to the strings? How much space between the chords should you put? How much, uh, how fast should it go once the chordal part is done? All these things are decided sort of at, at that time, um, mm-hmm. by the conductor and to to a large extent by the players as well, so you know that one the listener one knows the piece, but the mystery is in how it's going to be retold in yeah. in, in this in this moment here. Yeah, and that's that's how classical music is so unique, you know the the sort of classical music pieces that we're accustomed to hearing that have been played forever and ever. It's, right. Yeah, that interpretation. 
And I think what's kind of interesting is is that there are a lot of people. The classical music audience has a really complicated relationship to to interpretation because, for instance, there are a lot of people I know who listen to a lot of classical music, right?、Mm-hmm. And they have very, very, very intense beliefs about what the right way and the wrong way is to do something. Yeah, and. This stuff gets really crazy around Bach's music, in 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 particular. <laughs> yeah, and you know there there are people who are really I I, I always tell this story, but the only time I've ever seen、um, classical musicians fight one another with their hands was about performance practice. It was about a tempo. <laughs> no way. And, and no, totally. And in a in a 16th century piece of Flemish music, and 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 it's an amazing thing because you realize that that you know people really hold these things to be to be sacred. Yeah. And it's what I was saying before about it happening in a ritualized space. You know,、uh, listening to a recording, right? You know, if you like the recording, you know you like it, right? And you know、mm-hmm. that you like that that interpretation of the piece,、mm-hmm. and you bought it for a reason. And you can listen to it in your house, and you can listen to it while you're doing laundry or not. There's a kind of endless deritualizing of it. Whereas if you if you love、yeah. the magic flute, right? If you love it, love it, love it, and you go to the opera, and the first chord is like not how you thought it should be. You know, you see people leave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. But and so so what's amazing about that is that that in the heads of the listeners, and and I'm not, I'm I'm saying this, and it sounds like I'm being judgmental, but actually I think it's one of the beauties of what we do as classical musicians. But in in your head, I mean, I can use myself as an example. On、um, on Thursday night of this week, I'm going to go see the New York Philharmonic play a new, a brand new piece by John Adams, so never heard before,、mm-hmm. and、um, Stravinsky's、uh, Petrushka, which is a piece that I know very, very well, just as a piece of music on the page, but also for me, my recording of it with Michael Tilson Thomas, the one with which I grew up. There's gonna, there's never going to be anything better than that, even though that recording has its own weirdnesses. <laughs> that's the that's that's my standard for it, right? Yeah. So it's gotta, it's gotta be more awesome than that <laughs> for me to have an okay time. You know what I mean? So it's、right. and, and and I'm really I'm really particular about how loud certain things should be in there, about how the piano should be balanced. You know, I, I'm I'm a I, I turn into one of those crazy classical music people. <laughs> I recently heard a different interpretation of、uh, some songs by Verdi. I didn't even realize at first I was listening to the same piece of music. It was so different, right? And I, I have to say, it was a little bit jarring. But then it was cool. <laughs> I was like, you oh, know, this I, is interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I think with song with song form, there's there's much more wiggle room than the orchestral tradition.、Mm-hmm. But you know, a great example of that is like when you. With, I don't know if you bought that that Joni Mitchell tribute album that was out a couple of years ago, but you know Prince singing a case of you is one of the most extraordinary reinterpretations、oh, of of the twentieth century. Have, have you heard this thing? I have not, but I want to. You need to go and get this right now. It's、okay. so great, and because <laughs> what it does is it reminds you of three things. It reminds you of what a great song a case of you is.、Mm-hmm. 
darling And I would still be on my feet Oh, I would still be on my feet It reminds you of what a powerful like the the original version, right, of, of of Joni Mitchell's version, but it also reminds you of what an amazing musician Prince is. Yeah. Right. So you get three things at once, right? You're like, I love, I love the piece, I love the original interpretation, and I love this new interpretation. Mm-hmm. And that that is, you know, in in a sense, kind of when when you're listening to when you're listening to classical music and when you're listening to to the the golden oldies, that's the mental kind of triangulation that's going on. This is kind of a weird question. Tell um, me. But like, in pop music and rock music, tropes that you that kind of reoccur in the music have changed over time. I mean, I'm sure that's true in classical music, too. What kind of tropes are going on? And, like, what should people listen for when you're listening to contemporary classical music? That is that is the, the big question, isn't it? Um, a lot of things to... There are a lot of ways to answer that question. If you're listening to a, a, a brand-by-brand-new piece, right, and you have no idea what to expect, I always feel like... You can pay attention to color. It's a great pathway into even the thorniest contemporary music. Mm-hmm. Like, how are the instruments being used in combination with each other, or in, in, you know, how are they being differentiated from each other? Mm-hmm. How how is sort of I would say sort of light and dark sort of interplay. But yeah. it's it's really hard to describe because I think I you know the 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 tropes such as they are are all over the place. And and in contemporary music, it's not like there's a there's a handbook of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there, I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of composers whose music, basically, the currency of their music is using the instruments in in unusual ways. Mm-hmm. So if you're at, if you're at that kind of concert, the thing to listen to is how many different ways do you see the person playing the viola, right? So mm-hmm. here she's she's bowing it in the what you know the correct place. Here she's bowing it in a weird place. Here she's plucking it. Here she's plucking it with a guitar pick. You know, that that's one kind of economy uh-huh. of of listening. In, in my music specifically, I always feel like the the thing the thing you can listen for one one itinerary through a, a, a piece mm-hmm. would be to listen for how repetition functions. So, is it obsessive repetition? Is it ritualistic repetition? Mm-hmm. Is it broken repetition? Like, as in, does it change each time? Is it sort of repetition that that accumulates material, like spins something out of out of a, a repeated gesture, or is it the opposite? Oh, is it repetition that's, that un- that's interesting. That, undoes something that's one that's one thing to listen for i mean it's you know i i i wouldn't presume to tell people how to listen to my music but that's sometimes what i listen for <laughs> well that that is a, tr- a, a trope i guess or, or whatever you want to call it that's changed in classical music over time like when you listen to i don't know like koyana scotsi or something like that as a as opposed to the the repetition that you hear in I'm trying. I can't. I can't even draw up a, another piece of contemporary classical music that's more current, except for yours. Actually, I was just listening to object songs, and it it does have a few moments of of that repetition, but it's very different. Yeah, or it's 
it's patterns that yeah I mean I think I, I, right exactly like if you go if you go to, to a Philip Glass piece I think the thing the thing to ask yourself with his music is always where is the motor behind this right uh-huh. like what's the what's what's driving the truck um, and I think that's that's one of the things that's kind of like a hallmark of his of his music is that there are these harmonic motors and rhythmic motors and and you can kind of if you if you identify those then you then you're really kind of participating in the ride. So you're about to premiere this this new work, and that got me thinking about like what does that mean today? Most most classical music that we hear today premiered, you know, way before any of us were born. Uh, right. Well, I think yeah. you know what what what's super thrilling about a brand new piece, right? Is that for a minute, and and while you know while it's being put together and while it's being rehearsed, the only people who've heard it are the people in the room who are making it. So in the case of this piece, um, it'll be you know a choir of how many how many people, maybe thirty people, and then twelve guitarists and a conductor. So that's you know under fifty people know this music. Wow. And then suddenly, when you premiere it, that number increases by a lot, or you hope by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so suddenly, there's a couple hundred people or a thousand people who have heard this thing for the first time and and begin to develop a relationship with it. You know which can be a small relationship or it can start you down a rabbit hole of, mm. you know, investigating more of the, the composer's works or or being, you know, completely repelled by it or uh-huh. um, it's a kind of magic event. But like wh- like specifically, so you've you've written a new work and you're like I want to put this baby out into the world now. Do you go up to someone important and say I would like to premiere my work now, please? No, it's the exact opposite actually. Okay. <clears throat> In in gen- generally, what happens is that a group, like an organization, so that can be either an orchestra or a choir, or in some cases, it's a building. Says we'd like to commission you to write a piece of music. We'd, we'd like to we'd like to cause you to create a, a premiere. Gotcha. And so, what they give you is a set of parameters, and that the parameters are, are usually, you know, how long the thing should be, um, when it's due, uh, and how much money they're going to pay you. Uh-huh. And then, in exchange for that, you hand them a piece of paper, basically that that has all the notes on it. So, it, in a sense, it's not that feeling of I have this thing bursting to get out of my chest, and I need to find the right house for it. Uh-huh. So, yeah, the, the the commissioning system is kind of sets up the parameters for you, so you don't have to gotcha. sort of peddle your wares. Oh, that's that's kind of nice. <laughs> so, but like when I hear a new piece of music by say a band that I like, it's very exciting. Like when when. Arcade Fire, for example, puts out a new album. I'm like somewhere between super excited and kind of in crash position because part of me is kind of afraid of how it will sound. What's that experience like from it's, from your side? It's pretty palpable. I mean, I, you know, I I attend the first 
performances of, of most everything I write. And it's really scary because you what you're doing as a, as a composer is you're begging the attention of the audience for a certain amount of time. And yeah. you're making the argument that, you know, the eight-minute long piece that I just wrote is worth eight minutes of your silence, basically, eight mm-hmm. minutes of your attention, you as the audience member. Uh, and it's really scary because sometimes you feel like you're, you know, you're trying people's patience. And sometimes you feel like there are people who are there expecting one thing and, and get another. And I think it's it's interesting that you that you talked about Bands, because in a lot of cases, bands who are really, really good at a thing, right, mm-hmm. the the thing that people like about them is sometimes not replicatable in another album. Do, right. you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. But that's totally. so personal. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times it has to do with not, not even the music that the band is making, but the emotional state of the listener when – like for instance, I mean, for me, like when I, if we're going to talk about the Arcade Fire, I, I remember exactly where I was when I first heard Funeral, and it was a pretty like joyful time in my life, and mm-hmm. it was like just the right time of year, and it was all kind of happening, and like a friend of mine had just moved into New York from out of town, and it was like those circumstances are not repeatable. Yeah, um, yeah. You as the listener, it kind of uh, coincided with these circumstances that were going on with you, and it created this like magic around the listening right. experience. Right. Now, the advantage yeah. of classical music, um, or of concert music, I should say, is that you are exposed to a work, mm-hmm. particularly the world premiere of a work, in a sort of ritualized environment. Yeah. That's so strange to me. It is strange, but it's also, it's slightly more controllable. Uh-huh. So if you release your album out into the world, for instance, right, some people are listening to it on crappy speakers from their phone. Some people are listening to it in the mm. car. Mm-hmm. Some people are listening to it in the background of what they're doing. Some people are listening to it in in the foreground of what they're doing. Whereas the concert experience is slightly more manageable um, yeah. in a sense. Because you say, I mean, there, there are obviously differences of you know the user experience. But in general, you know, we've all turned up at 8 o'clock. We've all agreed to obey a sort of sense of, of decency and quiet during this time. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the message is much more controllable. Well, how are the audiences different? I mean, you've worked with like popular rock, indie, all that kind of stuff, and you've and you've worked in this classical world, which is obviously very different. Uh, you know, honestly, it's I wonder this all the time, and I and it's not something to which I have a ready answer. It's kind of baffling, actually. Like when you have a concert or a piece of yours is on a concert, or whatever, and I I always kind of want to set up a little booth in the lobby and ask who all these people are. <laughs> Because that's the biggest change in your life, right? Is when you know normally when you're when, when you write music and when you're in school, obviously the people who hear it are your mm-hmm. friends, right? And at a certain point, more people that like there are more people listening to it than people you know, and that's a weird moment, right? Like, how did you come to buy tickets to this yeah. thing, right? You know, one one of the things I did at the Met when I had this I had this big crazy opera last season uh, or two seasons ago, I the place from which I would watch, you could sort of see the people who were coming in, but they couldn't right. see you. And it was totally baffling. Like, there were a lot of people I recognized from, you know, I rep- recognized the demographic where it was like, these are people who go to every opera, right? So that's why right. they're here. <laughs> and then there were people, I was like, those are sort of, those look like academics, you know? And then I was like, those are, like, gay music fans. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 well, you know, you start seeing these sort of tribes of people moving right. around, and you're like, those are, like, dapper art curator people. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's always fascinating. And it's, you know, one of the, one of the great kind of joys and also anxieties of, of of my life as a composer is that I don't really have to worry about it. Like, it's not my job to fuss with who the audience is. And because it's so unpredictable, you can't write at an audience. You can't say, like, this is, yeah, this okay. is who I'm aiming yeah. this at. Like, I mean, honestly, it's like if you – I could not tell you who in Texas is going to come to this Yeah, thing. it's going to be interesting. One presumes that people will, uh-huh. but – 
you know, I, I, ju- I just can't imagine who it's going to be. <laughs> but, but, you know, that, that having been said, you, you don't want to imagine it. Because if I knew, it wouldn't be fun. And, and, that, and that's the kind of thrill. And, okay, so it is thrilling for you. I was, I was wondering if, like, you know, as a composer of a work at one of these things, like, are you looking around at people's faces going, do they like it? What are they yeah, oh, yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. about I'm, it? I'm totally doing that. I'm totally okay. doing that. You know, you know, an audience really changes the kind of atmosphere, obviously, of, of of a room. But I don't know if you if you've ever had this experience where you've gone to a concert and you you can pinpoint the moment when everyone is either wrapped or when they lose focus. Yes. Right? It's sort of like a group of people clapping together. Like there's a there arrives a synchronicity, and my psychological sort of default is I always imagine that the whole time is the moment when everyone's lost. Mm-hmm. So I, I sit I sit there in, in sort of anguish. I try, you know, honestly, if I can do it, I'll try to watch things from side stage uh-huh. or from somewhere where I'm not like my contorted <laughs> body is not, <laughs> is not visible to concert goers. <laughs> I have uh, someone made an archival video of a project I did a couple years ago where I was made to sit in the audience because it was like part of the part of the thing. And you know, when when you watch the video of the of the piece, you can you can literally see me writhing. <laughs> the whole time it's just like you know I'm like twisting my body into knots and twitching like <laughs> that's oh my god that would be that would so be me I would I would either hide or not attend I don't think I could stand that kind of pressure but yeah, it's um, scary. well one one more question before you go I know you're a busy guy uh is I know that we obviously cannot hear the music for your world premiere just yet but um can you talk a bit about I don't know what to expect. What uh, sure. your inspiration, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Well, you know, here here's the thing. The in this particular case, the commission was offered to me, and it was offered with with the stipulation that I I write for a given ensemble, and the given ensemble was twelve acoustic guitars mm-hmm. and choir. Now, twelve ac- acoustic guitars. Th- the the less scary way to say that is three guitar quartets. You know. <laughs> It's the same. <laughs> um, and so once you have that as a given, and once you have choir as, as a given, the, the next trick is how to find a text that requires 12 guitars, right? So it's not just, it's not just 12 guitars for fun. It's just it, it has to require 12 guitars. And what is the drama of the text? And I knew it was going to be a sort of longer work. It's, so it's between 30 and 35 minutes maybe. Mm-hmm. And so I poked around the archive at, at UT Austin, and I was looking for diaries or documents that, that related to the expansion westward, particularly in Texas and the other sort of prairie huh. prairies. And so I found a bunch of texts, almost all written by women, who were living in most situations either alone or with, with, it was unclear where their husbands were because their husbands were sort of out like going farther west and they had left women in a sort of homesteading situation. Yeah. And what's fascinating about these diaries is that it's the sort of anti-sentimentality of the Laura Ingalls Wilder books because uh-huh. nothing good ever happens, right? No. It's like the, hu- the husband leaves, <laughs> the kids die, another kid dies. And then, then our hero stops diarizing because she dies. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> but I think the romance of, of the expansion is, I think, what we learn about. But the, but the hardship is really crazy. And, and the fact that there isn't a kind of end to the story always. Yeah. Right? I, I latched on to w- one of these texts by, by Mary Alma uh, Blankenship. And she's talking about, you know, the wide open landscape. And she says, you know, we, we felt the absence of home folk. But when you get among such grandeur, you get to feel how little you are, how foolish is human endeavor, except that which unites us with the almighty force called God. And so here you have this moment of a woman who other, other places in her writing is obsessed with, you know, planting and is obsessed with cooking and is obsessed with how to make this land 
arable, mm-hmm. and then she looks up for a second, right? And that's, I think, when you get when you get the necessity of those twelve guitars to, to describe the kind of homophonic grandeur of that landscape. Yeah, that was my starting point. And then I was thinking about there was a, there was a beautiful text by um, Eleanor uh, Pruitt Stewart who is describing uh, trying to fall asleep in her cabin and miles and miles and miles away on a still night, there's a, um, a cowboy singing kind of a lo- like sort of lonesome songs. Yeah. And that, that image really stuck with me as, as a kind of piece of musical history and as a piece of social history. So the, so the whole piece ends, how, how Little You Are ends with a bunch of cowboy songs being sung by each member of the, of the choir at a different tempo. Mm-hmm. So you get this sense of a kind of surround um, thing. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's hard to describe it, but it, I, I, I wanted to feel the implication of loneliness, but a kind of a musical togetherness yeah. that this woman has with a man whom she'll never meet, right, who's 50 miles away. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. This sounds awesome. It's a, it's a downer, but it's it'll be da- good. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and once again, that will um, be a world premiere of Nico Muley's work, How Little You Are. It's going to be April 18th and awesome. We'll put links uh, on our website. I will see you that. all there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nico Muley, thank you so much for being on the, the Classical Classroom. The pleasure was classroom. mine. It was awesome to talk to you. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode of Classical Classroom. For more Classroom, go to houstonpublicmedia.org slash classroom, or you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, basically everywhere. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter. You can also tumble us. You can send me an email at dclay at houstonpublicmedia.org. Thanks today to audio producer Todd Tiefighter Holslander for making us sound good. Thanks to program director Sinjin Flynn for just being him. Thanks to editor Mark DeClaudio for his piercing albino eyes. Thanks to me for saying words. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>